Today, my guest is Christopher Nguyen, design leader, facilitator, and system thinker. Chris created the UX Playbook, a set of online self-teaching courses on UX growth, portfolio management, and user experience. In this episode, we are talking about UX workshops, when they are the most useful, how to deal with tough participants, Chris calls them troublemakers, and what are the key ingredients of an effective workshop. I am Nikola Kiev, and this is Design Unframed, the podcast that believes that every pixel has a story. When you look up the term workshop on Google, you'll find this definition. A meeting where a group engages in intensive discussion and activities focused on a specific topic or project. So how would you, Chris, define a UX workshop? And what specific problems can these workshops help us solve? Why I like workshops, it can help you build better products faster, right? By kind of systematizing, um, let's just say an innovation approach, like compressing work that could typically take months or take product team months into days, right? Like, so you're cutting the fat out of the standard, maybe agile process and kind of, or even the waterfall process uh, and putting into like these um, endless dead end discussions, right? But you're like in a room and the idea is to move forward quickly uh, into something tangible. So you're moving faster and hopefully by collaborating, you're building better products, right? Um, and then the second is that uh, user experience is not really a, a silo practice. So in order to like collect knowledge, generate new ideas, new design solution, we have to kind of bring people together, right? So therefore a hands-on workshop provides the group with like a really nice kind of goal-orientated exercises where each of the participants can have a chance to share insights, their expertise, and um, their in that workshop, the designer or the facilitator can communicate the value of user experience within that kind of domain or those people. And then the third thing, which is super important, um, it has to be outcome focused. Otherwise it's just not, a work it's just another meeting, right? So depending on the workshop is, as I said before, like, is it persona to find out who your customers are, right? Based on the expertise of the team, we call this proto persona, right? And then the second is like, customer journey map uh, where you find different touch points within you know either the ideal journey or the existing journey and then we have the design sprint which is kind of like a mix of all of that um, but depending on which workshop you are you can uh, you walk away with clear outcomes and some example of clear outcomes is like clear goals uh, define ses a success metrics um, a consensus on what problems to solve first, because of course everything's a priority, but which one is the most, right? We mentioned understanding our user personas so we can better build for them, right? Identifying, you know, critical touch points within a user's journey and then potential opportunities to go solve that, right? Or you could come up with an initial prototype of a solution, which we do in the design sprint, or you could kind of dissect and understand your research, right? You can have a workshop about, let's figure out what this research actually says. So there's a bunch of different outcomes based on what problem you wanna plug into it. We've talked about one signal indicating that you might need a workshop. It's endless meetings with no discussion. What other signs suggest the need for a workshop? Can you recall additional signals from your experience? Sure, so starting a new project is always a great one. 
because you're basically setting direction on like a new effort. So things are fairly fuzzy. People have their own opinions and perspective and expertise. So it's always good to get in a room together to figure out the structures of how we're going to proceed, right? So new projects is uh, and this is just not any new project. It's something more complex that requires more than just yourself, right? Um, multiple parties, multiple different departments. Um, and so there's already an assumption that this is going to be complex. So that's a, a huge signal. Then another is an initial process, or if you're trying to build something uh, like processes wise, uh, design ops or uh, how design and development handoff or some kind of process within the hiring process, right? It's always good to get folks in the room because likely a process has to be touched by majority of the people uh, within this specific org or outside the departments. So it's always good to get people in the same room to figure out how to do it and what's the best, uh, let's just say MVP process way, right? Um, so that's another one. Another signal is when product teams basically are stuck, right? And dead end discussions, lots of meetings about a specific thing. And it seems like after meeting after meeting, nothing gets resolved. And you're like, uh, what's going on here? We're not on the same page. And basically every meeting is a waste or like nothing is really moving it forward. I think that's also a, a huge signal. Um, there's another reason why you would want to do it where uh, you're looking at a complex problem, right? So this is different from starting a new project, right? When you're looking at existing problem and, uh, and it's huge, right? Maybe you've just discovered it. Like, holy crap, we don't have a user management backend, right? But we have all these products. This is actually what happened to me. And you're like, I can't believe we haven't got this. We just released so quickly. It's like, okay, let's like take a step back and actually figure out how to, sh how to shortcut this. Maybe we don't build a user management system across all our apps. However, we can fake this, right? Or finding a shortcut to big problems, right? I think that's it. Uh, and then the other part, uh, which is the last thing I'll bring up, which is if you wanna bring like non-design stakeholders into the process, if you wanna sell them on why this would be a better way to move forward than their traditional write a PRD and then just send it out to the designers, like a product requirements document. And then like, we just basically go, okay, uh, you know, do the commands, be completely robotic and produce, right? We're not a factory workers, hopefully. So if you wanna really sell like the value of like design thinking and user-centered design, then you can always use it as a mechanism to show value in your work and your process. Uh, and then also, because they're in the workshop, hopefully they'll be more bought in, right? Because they get to make some decisions along the way. And that, that kind of um, is a good way to uh, bring them into the process and kind of convince them that you're doing something good. Let me throw a tricky question your way. So you've got these senior team members at your workshop and some of them are slacking off or doing their own thing happens to the best of us, right? Then how can a workshop facilitator bring them back into the work? What is your approach? So we call them troublemakers, right? Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so it could be um, senior executives, you know, like let's just say your CEO, your CPO, whoever, or they can just be people that aren't, like their manager told them they need to go there, 
right? So it could be anybody in the workshop. <clears throat> but specifically, it's hard for the senior level executives because um, you might be an employee or you might be an outside consultant, right? So I think it's all about setting expectation of what you want to achieve uh, with them before. So the, the question that I like to ask is, do they actually need to be there? If not, how do we um, just let them know FYI? Or if they do need to be there, how do we involve them just when they need to be there, right? So sometimes it doesn't make sense for them to be, sit through everything. So we can be smart and say, hey, I need you one hour today at the end of the day. So we wrap up and you give your final sign off. So that's a good way to do it because you're right. They are juggling a million different things. And sometimes them not having their phone uh, with them could lead to pretty crazy fires, right? Um, but the other is to actually, um, the, the harder method is if they've agreed to be there and they say, no, I need to be there all day to, you know, watch over everything, make sure everything's going right. I want to be involved in every single decision. You're like, okay, man, you can be there, but here are the rules, right? And then when they start breaking the rules, you actually have to have a hard conversation. Just grab them. It's like, hey, uh, can we speak for like two minutes? Give, give everybody a break and say, hey, I've noticed like you've been playing on your phone a lot. Uh, you're not really engaged. I think this kind of sets a bad example for the whole team as everybody's given up their day. Um, you know, it would I would really appreciate if, you know, if, if there's something really urgent, feel free to pop out. Like, that's absolutely fine. But when you're in the workshop, uh, I would love if you, you know, lead by example and, you know, provide insights, you know, have good discussions and kind of listen to people, right? Like that's kind of their job as well. So given, given them little of these nudges, you can also call them out in front of everybody. Like, hey, Bob, stop playing on your phone, right? And uh, after a certain time, they may like, you know, you might want to not do it all the time. But usually um, for senior folks, I think if you communicate also uh, why they're there, and the outcome that they have also agreed on, uh, and then have a little chat outside if they start breaking the rules. That usually does the trick, right? Or if all of that, if all of that doesn't work, then the first approach I said, involve them when they need to be involved, not at every single stage, right? If they really do need to make a product call, just be like, hey, I'll just ping you on your phone and you just run into the meeting. So I, I think we definitely need to give seniors or executives uh, a level of flexibility like they're used to, right? Because they're used yeah. to kind of like in and out of meetings, but it's also being kind of like firm but fair with them as well. Yeah, yeah, I can I agree with you. Like because their their hour is extremely expensive. They have to they have to prioritize. In most of the cases, I can say that uh, the problems with the seniors happen on the workshops if you didn't give a proper introduction or didn't talk with them beforehand. Uh, and just tell them, hey, appear on this meeting and I will tell you everything on, on the go. Yeah. And they, they don't take it too seriously. If you will explain, try to explain beforehand. And as you said, there are three things you should do. First thing, explain beforehand, before the workshop, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? Why we need you on this workshop? It It's not only for the seniors, it's for any person. Second thing, uh, involve senior people where you need them don't involve them for the whole day. And the first thing, if they don't want to or don't need to be there, 
let them just jump off and uh, go do their job. Yeah, if there is something burning, you can go without them, yeah, and then align with them uh, after. This will help. One of the unpleasant truths about workshops and UX workshops is that they are extremely expensive. If you take the hourly rate of all people involved in the workshop and multiply by the hours spent on the workshop, you will come up with a staggering amount of money. The logical question after that is, how can I understand that I don't need a workshop or I don't need to gather people and spend hours in the room with them? And how can I understand that I don't need a workshop? We've talked about the signals that indicate that the workshop might help you, but what are the signals that indicate that the workshop won't help you? And you should figure it out the other sure, way. Sure, it's expensive. Like any meeting is expensive, but I would argue that if you do need a workshop, no matter how expensive it is, it's going to cost less in the long run, right? Uh, that's my belief. Um, but good question though. So what are some signals that tell us that we don't need a workshop? Okay, so the analogy is you don't need a meeting when you can send an email, right? Like there's yes. so many wasted. <laughs> so that's an obvious one where, where it's just like an FYI, here's some work to review. Like you don't need to like have a meeting, have a workshop and just, you know, have a collaborative brainstorming session. So I think everybody gets that. Um, the other, which is linked to this is if you can move forward without a big approval, like uh, then you don't need a workshop. Then you can do the work yourself first and then get feedback and, and then iterate on that, right? Majority of times you can do that. Um, when there are really, really tight deadlines and everybody's like shipping on a Friday. Um, so that does not make sense for anybody to get in a room and to focus on the problem, even if it's like a lot bigger. It's like, hey, if it's not the priority, then you don't need to do that. And then that also links to limited resources. Let's just say you're a company of uh, three people um, and doing a workshop is just uh, a bit crazy because you're doing sales and marketing, someone else is doing customer service and product development. Like everybody is just split so thin that it'll be impossible to get them all in a room for a day. Uh, that's just impossible. The other is like when there is like well-established processes, well-defined user research, the team is aligned and they know what they're doing, right? Like if you figured this stuff out, then why would you need a workshop? I would argue that maybe uh, brainstorming could still help, but if everything is established and you guys have a robust process that kind of is flexible enough for things to fall through the crack, but also save it, then I, I would say that's, um, you don't need to workshop there. When the goals of the project uh, are super clear, documented, and, you know, it's quite obvious what you're doing by reading this document, then you also don't need one, right? Um, and then the final one is, if you can make the decision, why would you ask someone else for the decision? Like, that that's the no-brainer, yeah. Bringing colleagues together for one-hour brainstorming session using tools like Miro or FigGem doesn't quite consider it a workshop. It's more of a brief collaborative meeting. Do you agree with that or it's actually not true? Um, not necessarily, not necessarily. I, I think, so this goes back to our definition of the workshop, right? So for me, the definition would be um, a group of people kind of sitting down together and working towards a common goal, right? In 
through an activity, through a guided activity, right? So I think brain, like good brainstormings, they're very guided. They're rarely just like, hey guys, let's just brainstorm this. That's not how you do it, right? You have to be, you have to set the context, you have to set the rules, you have to set the time limit. Um, so for me, a, bra a brainstorm is a, a mini guided workshop, right? Um, yeah, e even you can have half an hour workshops, right? But the it has to be guided and it's very very clear what they're there to do there's a singular focus and there's rules around this game right that is that is super important thing to mention because like we can then think about about the length of the workshop sometimes we can we can think we need to spend one day one full day or we need to spend a few days but actually we can just cut it to two hours it will be okay if all we need from the team, just their ideas or their feedback on our design. We can just organize a short like design review session. It is a workshop because you have rules, uh, you have a guidance, you have a you have a goal. You need a, you need a organized feedback on the design, and you need to come up. Sometimes you need to come up with how to change design together with the, with other people. So it is a, a mini workshop. I want to add one thing onto that, where like if. If you want to save costs, ha have you ever thought about doing an async workshop? So it's not really a workshop, but it's set up kind of like a workshop. So you say, okay, here are the rules of the game. Uh, spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes, half an hour on this. And I want you to do X, Y, Z, do it on the mirror board. And then, you know, by tomorrow morning, things would be done, but it would have been kind of in the workshop setting where you don't speak to each other, you do the votes, whatever, right? So I, I think that's also another way to sort of save costs or save attention, right? You don't need people right there and then with a singular focus. They can do it on their own time because most likely your problems are not their problems. So that's something I have been thinking about and I've experimented it because I, I work like fully remote and sometimes... When you have to work with people, everybody's, you know, juggling a few projects, whatever. So it's like, okay, well, we don't need a workshop then. Hey, just do this, like hear the rules and just spend uh, X amount of time on it. And, uh, you know, you have the, till the end of the week, right? And then it's like, you've basically created a workshop, but uh, not the traditional sense of people speaking to each other. But the ideas are still there, right? You just need to like filter it out. Uh, maybe there's an additional step. Uh, to summarize and to align, but I think that's a really good way to think about it, like the async workshop model or async activities or something. That's really cool because I remember that at some point in my life, I had 12 hours difference with my employer. So uh, a huge time difference. And when they started their day, I was going to bed and I used the same approach as you described. I used to record videos with Loom or other software and there were videos, presentations of design or big presentations, half an hour describing this and that for, for example, for a big feature. And then I asked them, go to this file and leave the feedback or go to this form and write down. And it was like async workshop. So it is a good idea actually. And it saved my ass multiple times, to be honest. Okay, Chris, you got me. <laughs> it looks like I need a workshop. And let's assume I need to redesign the homepage of an online banking app. It's a big task because home screen is extremely important and all the users spend their time there. We need multiple people to make a decision. I think I need a UX workshop to come up with the first high-level solution that we will then 
elaborate on. What will be my steps to organize the workshop? How would you do that? The process from A so to Z. So if that's the objectives, uh, I, I also want to find out why. Like, why do we want to do that? So I'll probably yeah um, have some stakeholder interviews with like, who's the decision maker, right? So speak to them. Before and, the workshop. Yes, before. This is, uh, yeah, th there's lots of groundwork before. Um, and figure out like, okay, uh, why do we want to do this? Uh, what is it like? Is there a conversion metric? Is there, you know, additional signups? Like, wh why do we want to do this? Because usually it's not just a brand refresh, right? Like, <laughs> there's there's more to that. And if it is a brand refresh, that's also okay. So figure out like why they want to do it. Um, how long do they want to do it in? So everything about the project you need to ask about, right? This is a a traditional stakeholder interview where you can the more information you gather from this party or or the key decision maker uh the better right and if you do have time then you can speak to uh other people like a good question to end your interview is like who else should i speak to about this right and you can also tease them and say well who needs to be involved in such a high level decision or such a big decision then that can help you in your head construct a picture of who needs to be in the workshop, who to invite, right? Um, but after you kind of do your initial research and figure out, okay, well, we're doing it because um, our signups just uh, are not as good, it's not converting. And then also users are struggling to find uh, information about our product, right? Uh, that's one of the symptoms of, of not converting. And then uh, we also launched a bunch of features in the last year. Nobody knows about them. That's why we need a new refresh. Okay, cool. So those are the uh, uh, the main challenges, right? So then you can think about what type of workshop do we need? Okay, so if we're going to look at the existing homepage, uh, and if we want to design the new one, we should look at the existing one, right? So there should be some sort of audit, even something we could even do before, but I doubt people have that much time. So maybe it's an activity we can include. Um, then uh, we should probably cover something around conversions. So we'll probably need an expert uh, in terms of growth design and marketing, right? And what are our customers saying? So those are some of the participants we can, right? So let me just repeat that. So first is stakeholder interview to define the objectives and find out exactly what we want to do uh, and who should be involved. And then the second is figuring out what type of workshop it should be. What should it involve? based on the problem. So a designer who's done workshops before will typically have some frameworks and toolboxes they can kind of pull from depending on the problem, right? Or they'll just have to invent one. And I've done that a bunch of times because you you just don't know what you don't know, but you can frame it around the problem. And then the second is kind of, uh, sorry, the third thing is like, okay, now you have your rough, rough structure of the uh, things you want to work on. Let's just say like, um, heuristic evaluation within it, like the audit, uh, some uh, sort of growth design activities. So like, let's just say like brainstorming experiments, like what experiments can we run with the new uh, workshop? Uh, how do we A-B test it? Uh, probably some solution sketches to come up with the new uh, idea. Then you say, okay, then we need to define this agenda, right? Like what's going to go first? What's logically first? Usually it's like expert interviews. We go to the stakeholder or the person in charge would be like, okay, well, why do you want to do this? Let the whole team know so we're on the same page, 
right? And then maybe somehow my wheeze, uh, and then you, you follow that kind of structure from high level all the way to deep, deep dive, and everything should be logically uh, linked, um, right? So that's your agenda. Remember, you haven't done anything yet. You're just high level yeah. linking stuff, right? And then, uh, then it's kind of like, okay, now I have it. Let's propose it, right? Like that's your MVP, your outline. And then you say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Uh, I think it's in, like, what are we doing? Why are we doing and how are we gonna do it, right? And once that's approved in terms of, hey, time slots, when we're gonna do it, the same people in the room, do we need more people, do we need less, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, people are like, okay, it's a go ahead. Then it's time to then actually work on the stuff, right? Prepare your materials, your activities, your slides, your book the rooms, recording devices, all the logistics, right? Um, and also like figure out who your co-facilitator is, right? Uh, so given that's done, um, you obviously need to send reminders before if there's any homework, which sometimes there is, like, hey, bring some websites uh, that have awesome navigations or what kind of uh, aspirationally does our product want to be? Like, do we want to be uh, a Revolut? Do we want to be X, Y, and Z, uh, like another Neobank or something else, right? So whatever the homework is that you require, maybe some user data, like Google Analytics data, um, so that's step five. And then step seven is like, you actually have to facilitate the session. Uh, we can talk more about that later or like how to. Uh, and then the last step, uh, don't forget, is to summarize, share, and get feedback. You can get feedback within the workshop as well, but you also want to uh, give folks another chance uh, to get feedback at the end. So like, you know, uh, the wrap up is so important because you have to basically circle back and say, hey, what we did was super valuable. Here are the recommended steps and here's everything we've done, right? And that's why I've recommended it. And then um, potential owners as well, like uh, who's gonna take charge of what? So that's really important. And uh, people usually miss that last step or do it in such a weird way that is not valuable, but it's really important to surface what you did and kind of thank everybody for their time. Yeah. What are the tips and tricks like from, from your experience, yeah. Uh, what are the things that a person facilitating the workshop should know? Actually, if we boil it down to the basics without feeling overwhelmed, right? There, uh, you need to focus on three things. Ask questions, write stuff down, and keep the time limit. <laughs> like those are the three things that you as a facilitator can, uh, can basically just remember. And if you do that really, really well, that's usually good. Of course, there's a bunch of things like yeah, know the activities, da, 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 but whatever. Ask questions, write stuff down, and look at the time, okay? Those are three things that are really important. And then um, the second is you need to get commitment uh, for folks to do this. If they, you don't have commitment, then you shouldn't really be doing it at all because in and out, uh, people aren't going to be there, you know, 30% turns up, no decision maker, what's the point, okay? That's the second. The third is, and I, and I do this a lot, and I remember that I was feeling so nervous at my first ever workshop. And I did this at um, 21st Century Fox in LA. My, my boss was like, hey, um, Chris, you're gonna be uh, leading this workshop. And I'm like, I've never done a UX workshop before. And he's like, it's okay, you'll be fine at it. And so it was me and a partner of mine. Uh, we both did it. It was both our first times, but our boss was also in the room. Uh, but she was like, nah, you guys will be fine. And we did it. And the key here and the number three thing is 
you got to fake confidence. I mean, you know more about this activity than they do, right? Even if you've just learned it a few days ago. So this one is super, super uh, like critical. Like if you don't project it, then um, it's very hard for folks to understand, like to buy into what you're trying to do. And uh, another mini story around this is we were doing a workshop in Australia and um, we figured out that we needed a new activity. So my boss just read quickly um, the um, experience canvas from Malassian, and then we literally did it half an hour later. So she can consume it so quickly. She really didn't know what she was talking about in hindsight, but she was better at projecting this confidence and she seemed like the expert in a room. She had, you know, the, the accolades, the experience, but she didn't know this activity, but so that one is super key, fake confidence. Then the fourth one is, um, remember the facilitator's role in this is to be the person that's helpful, right? So you don't want to outsmart anybody. Really, you're just trying to get, um, connect the dots and help the team come to an agreed outcome. So you shouldn't be like uh, trying to push people's ideas down and basically be an asshole. So really, you just want to be helpful. Um, the fifth one is you obviously want to bring some energy, right? Uh, because you are the person at the front. And if you're upbeat and positive, hopefully they will be. But if you're kind of like tired and hungover, uh, which I've been, uh, that's not good. You still have to be energetic. So get a lot of coffee. Um, the sixth one is you need to take more breaks than you think you need to take. Okay. Um, that but, one. Yeah. That one. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that the last time I organized five days workshop and we had, we had a lot of breaks, just breaks for ice cream. It was extremely hot in Berlin. We went to get ice cream like three times a day. So like, yeah, I, I realized that you need a lot of breaks because sitting in one room is just super hard. Like a good practice is like every 90 minutes or two hours, uh, just be like, okay, 10 minutes or like quick toilet break. People go to the loo, stretch their legs, come back, right? Uh, do this online as well. You know, people might need to grab a drink. So it's like, uh, be flexible with the break. Also read the room. It's like, if it's kind of low energy, okay, let, it's time for a break, right? Uh, sometimes you want to finish that activity so you can take that break but regular breaks uh because we just can't focus that much like intensively especially after one of these like uh solution sketch or, or something super active you need folks to chill out a little bit uh, the seventh is the one that's super obvious um every time you facilitate you get better so get as many reps in as possible so if you're just starting out then you need uh then you can offer hey can i run this meeting right just try and be a facilitator right well can i do this like couple of hour thing uh on the behalf of you so as long as you can get reps and practice in as much as you can that would make you a better facilitator over time the eighth thing is don't take yourself too seriously. I do this quite a lot during workshops. I just kind of make fun of my slides or if, if I screwed up and it's kind of super normal. Uh, the ninth is a little bit more useful for framework approach. Okay, so every single activity needs to have a what, why, and how. So that's how you 
introduce it, right? So let's give you guys an example. So first you start off with the what. Hey everybody, we're gonna do an exercise called how might we's. How might we's are X, Y, and Z. Why we're doing it? Because uh, we want to properly frame uh, the problem into an opportunity to come up with creative solutions. And then how we're gonna do it, here's how we're gonna do it. And then you tell them the instructions, right? Uh, and remember, you have to repeat that three times in order for 90% of the participants to get that. Uh, and when you repeat it twice, only 60% get it. So remember, the what, why, how is super important on every single activity, even um, during breaks, right? Like, what are we doing? We're having a break. Why do we do it? You guys look tired. And uh, set the expectation of this is the time we come back, right? And most people would ask, what time are we supposed to be back? So that's like, so you got to say a few times, but yeah, set the expectation. And the last one is su um, super important. As a facilitator, it's more for yourself, but also um, how well you're doing, right? So um, you can do this thing we really like at the end of the workshop or during the day, we have um, sort of uh, two columns and it's the I like and I wish column, right? And people can just kind of go there and you can set, that, uh, set it up. It's like, what did you like about the workshop? And what did you wish about it? What could be better, right? And then, of course, you can send a proper survey afterwards with all, all the, you know, MPS questions. But the simplest way is just be like, hey, guys, uh, before you leave, take five minutes, you know, grab a drink, come back. But would really love for you to fill in the I like and the I wish from today, just so it can be better for tomorrow or whatever. And then that is uh, key. If you make people do it, they will do it. And if you make it super simple, they're, they're gonna write whatever, right? You give them sort of uh, all the open space to comment on whatever. So the, the 10th one is, yeah, get feedback. Great, it's it's excellent. Yeah, like excellent 10 tips on the, on the workshops. Uh, I will put them in the description. A few months ago, I organized a big five-day workshop. My team and I spend a lot of time collecting information before the workshop and addressing user problems, basically gathering information and planning our work in a super big conference document. When the workshop started, I gave a quick introduction, thinking everyone knew what was happening, and then everything seemed fine until the morning of a second day. Surprisingly, a colleague who was a part of the team leaned towards me and said, Hey Nick. Could you please explain me the problems we are working on clearly? I feel a bit lost. At that point, I realized that he wasn't the part of the preparation team and I screwed it up. And I was blushed. I quickly caught him up and although we got through it, I learned a big lesson. I realized that it's important to explain things before the workshop. Even if people were on the earlier meetings, things can change and so it's good to be clear from the beginning. A short introduction might be not enough and you shouldn't assume that everyone understands everything. So looking back on this, I know I made a mistake, but it taught me a lot. Now over to you, Chris. Can you think of a time at work when things didn't go as planned during a meeting or workshop? What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so um, I had, so we were working with our clients in in Thailand one time and um, workshops in Asia is like school in Asia where nobody speaks up, right? And usually <laughs> only one person, which is the 
senior executive on the team speaks up. So that was really, really hard for us because we had been working in the you know, international environment. Everybody's kind of throwing ideas out, like discussing. So it was um, not until they left the room, uh, like at the end of the day, and some of the team stayed behind, that then we sort of found they were, they were speaking up and mentioning things that uh, they should have said, okay? Um, and uh, this also happened in at lunch as well, but uh, it wasn't very clear, or obvious. And also, you know, uh, we were busy kind of planning for the afternoon session. So, so we were like, okay, well, what do we do? Like if the senior stakeholder is actively affecting the team's sort of mentality to this workshop, then we need to devise a plan where we have to um, either be super direct, like ask them by name, like, hey, what do you think, right? So take it at a slower pace. Uh, and then two is like, well, do we need the stakeholder in this room at the moment? Like, is that the best use of their time, right? Um, so we so we implemented both, like uh, the next day. We said, okay, well, um, what, what was his name? I'm just gonna call him Jacob because I don't remember his name. It's like, Jacob, hey, so this is the activity today. We're gonna dive into some of the uh, architecture problems. You probably don't need to be here, uh, but uh, it'll be great if we like catch up you know, before lunch and then maybe just come back for the last hour, right? Let's have a summary. So you're all caught up, but this part you don't need to. And then the team was super flexible. Like, you know, people were laughing, you know, we, we were just like actually having a, a, a good time. Um, and it was just, uh, it just de-stressed it a lot more. So I'm not sure if that's just a Thai working culture or that specific team. Like, um, you know, for us, we we're like, okay, well, that was one of them. So I think also the major learning, not just these two things, is that, uh, and we've done this so many times, where the facilitator and the co-facilitator are always talking to each other when they're doing the activities, right? We're constantly kind of, um, pulsing the room and saying, hey, um, should we do this? Uh, I noticed this happened, right? Or we'll, we'll we'll go outside for like, you know, two minutes, come back. And even during breaks, even during lunches, it's a constant constant shift of like, where are we going? Are we on track? What can we change and what can we improve? And I think that's the biggest learning because uh, when you do it so, so much and in different environments and with different teams, different problems, uh, things can just kind of go sideways, right? And then the worst thing is if your co-facilitator doesn't call you out and you're just kind of going off and you don't really know because maybe you're nervous and you're trying to control the room, but they see something from a different level. So um, the good practice here is also switch uh, the activities back and forth, right? So someone gets to sit back and kind of watch what's happening and then someone then leads and then take turn. So that, I think that for us was one of the biggest learnings where if you don't talk, uh, things can just kind of... Uh, get out of your control way quicker and then for you to not kind of steer it into the right direction. That's a really good example. Thank you. It explains a lot why you need a co-facilitator. So we've talked about the process. We've talked about the bad experiences, bad examples, but what are the good examples? Can you remember the workshops that went super great and were the best ones in your career and what made them so great? Maybe it was atmosphere, maybe, I don't know, the team, anything. So um, there was one workshop I did with uh, my ex-colleague, Rodrigo. Uh, also in LA, we uh, were doing a 21st Century Fox again, and this was our second workshop we ran with them. Um, it was cool. Uh, the folks on the team were quite senior. 
right? But from different departments, they they weren't from tech. So we at the beginning we found it to be like, do they know what we're talking about here? Um, but they were they were very open. You know, they were they were slower to get some of the activities. We had to repeat it over and over again, and we're kind of like, okay, okay, let's just do an example here, right? Let's just slow down. We'll do an example, and then throughout the process. Uh, we didn't really realize this until after. Uh, from one of the、uh, so one of our project managers actually sat in.、Uh, she was in charge of client communication. But afterwards, apparently, they loved the workshop because me and Rodrigo were sort of adding、uh, information to what we were saying. So remember, we did the tactic of, "Hey, you lead it. I'll stay back. I'll lead it. You stay back." But at at the same time.、Um, We would also add information. So what it made the participants feel like,、uh, it was a conversation. Like it was super cash. Like he's saying something, and I wait for him to finish, and I'll be like, "Yeah, but、uh, don't forget that this could also do this." And he was like, "Yeah, that's right." And then and then we did that, and that conversation element basically gave folks the permission to sort of feel more relaxed over time. Yeah, even though they haven't done anything like this, you know, the TV industry is like inherently kind of broken and non-techy. Like it's all it's all all a mess, right? But they were sort sort of bought in,、uh, just because we had that sort of、um, back and forth camaraderie and adding points together. So I think that's one that went really really well, even though it was like people that weren't familiar with necessarily what UX was. You know, they are. They all have their own team, so they're super busy kind of people. But、um, at the end of the day, it tied it together, and we felt like it went okay. But it's only until someone who were more close to the customer, in terms of the project manager, that gave us that feedback, which we were like, "Oh yeah, they did seem pretty loose by the end of it."、Um, so e- even for us, we 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 didn't step back enough, I guess.、Um, but yeah, that was one that I really really enjoyed, and the cool thing was. Um, after one of the workshops that we finished early,、uh, one of the、um, on-set kind of tech guys was showing us round the movie lot. Right,、uh, we saw like Modern Family set. We saw like where this got filmed, that got filmed, and then I was like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" So we we super geeked out. Oh, that's、out. amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I had fun having a PlayStation Four at my work, but your benefits are way better, <laughs> way better. So, Chris. The last question I wanted to ask you is, what can you say to a designer who wants to organize a workshop for the first time in his life? What is one advice or a couple of advice you can give to this designer? Anything that comes to your mind. So remember, we spoke about getting reps, right? And、uh, when I said start small, it means like, hey, take lead in some of this stuff. Don't be super passive, right? If you see like a meeting going on awry, you actually have full capacity to be like, hey guys, wait, let's just realign. What are we doing? And then drive it from there, right? So it doesn't have to be like super organized and all this research behind it, and then like. Because you're putting a lot of、um, pressure on yourselves, like, hey, I want a workshop. It needs to be perfect. It will never be perfect. And every time a workshop happens that I've done, something always goes wrong, right? I have a agenda. I have a time thing. Nothing ever goes right. So start small, and then work up to it. And maybe let's just say, yes, you're you're there. You're like first workshop. Let's do it. I want to do a design sprint that's going to take five days, and it's going to be the best thing ever.、Um, See where you can cut that fat, right? Like who needs to be there,、uh, why, and then because actually following a process is great at first. I think that will、um, 
help you be more confident, right? Help you fake that confidence. So knowing knowing how to do it step by step is great, but also uh, be flexible enough to throw some of that stuff out. If if literally people are like, didn't we talk about this or like, why are we doing this? It doesn't link. Uh, I've done that sometimes when I've overplanned, and I'm like, yeah, you're completely right. Let's move on, right? So like have that kind of. Um, I'm super flexible, but this we're here for a reason. Um, and I just want to highlight again, if you know what you're talking about, it's really easy to fake confidence, right? So it's like, okay, well, what's the most simplest workshop formula? It's probably brainstorming, right? It's probably crazy eights or something like that, right? If do you know crazy eights, can you do it? Uh, can you teach someone that? If you can teach someone that, that's a good opportunity to run a workshop around it. And then you just basically stack up your tools uh, in your toolbox and uh, most of these things will come natural afterwards and then you'll find your own sort of like hacks or shortcuts or work around that it just works uniquely to you because like every facilitator is different. Some speak really fast like I'm doing now. Some kind of a more chill, more slow, really calming. So like, yeah. Like doing the reps and knowing these things well will then start to, you'll start to define your own style, right, of workshopping because everybody does it differently. There are these best practices, but sometimes uh, the only way to even get insight to your own best practices is if you do it. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, just have fun with it. I mean, it's a workshop. It's like, a bunch of adults playing in a room, right? You're just writing on posters, like it's it's fun for me. It's one of the like the best things to do. So, um, yeah, just just have fun. I think that's one of the most important things uh, you said on this podcast and on this episode. Yeah, just have fun, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for giving a lot of advice on how to organize a workshop, telling stories from your experience. It was it was a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. I really enjoyed it and I'm happy to come back on and talk about other stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. And share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. That will help us to grow. Stay tuned for more design talks.